Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Janine, Jose, and myself, Matthew. Tonight, we're going to be doing an introductory uh, episode on a series we're going to begin, Lift Up the Standard. And it's pretty important that people realize the, the, the ramifications of what is to come. And it's important that you realize um, your history and, and what happened before. So uh, this conversation started uh, in reference to where the arc went. That's that's really where it starts. And when you go to the event horizon for that, it's Second Maccabees chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, which we covered on this program before. But it states quite plainly there that Mount Nebo is the place where it was put. And that makes things a little bit off the hook considering what they've done there. What they've done here in present times is erected what can only be described as an abomination. Now, most Christians have no idea what's there. And as a matter of fact, right before the program, I had told Jose that the Pope had visited this edifice. And come to find out, he's visited several times. It's almost like, I guess that, I mean, he said three times, so I take it that spans a couple of popes, but just take note that what is there at Mount Nebo is this. Outside the present-day shrine stands a, a serpentine cross. It's the Brazen Serpent Monument. It was created by an Italian artist, and it merges the life-saving bronze serpent of Moses and the cross that Christ was crucifixed was crucified on. It is literally an abomination. I mean, isn't that what you would say, Jose? Yes, Matthew, <clears throat> I would. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little. I was, you know, when you read that story <clears throat> in the Old Testament, you're a little taken aback because because the fact that the serpent is there, right? But, but. We know that God's doing that for a reason, but when you come out and, and erect that that monument and and you say that's what it is, you're you're merging the two. That that does um that doesn't sit right with me, Matthew. It doesn't it doesn't. It's not something that we should be commemorating. Also, considering the fact that in the Bible it was destroyed for a reason, so it was erected for a reason for whatever God God meant it for. And then it was destroyed for a reason. So, yeah, it, it is not. Um, I, I wouldn't consider that a, a, a good thing to to do and to to copy Matthew. And when you mentioned the popes visiting that location, three different popes: Pope John Paul II in two thousand, um, in two thousand and fifteen, Pope Benedict, and then two thousand and twenty-two was Pope Francis. So it's almost like a, a little pilgrimage that each one has to do to that to that site. 
Wow. Um, well, that's disturbing, isn't it? I, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, it, it really takes you back. What it is is it's the cross of Christ with the serpent spiraling on top of it. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but it, it this really is what I got the first time I looked at it. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, that looks like a crucifix, only instead of Christ being on it, it's the brazen serpent. And that just took me aback. I couldn't, I could not believe it. So, you know, this is very prophetic that people understand when this happened. King Hezekiah came to power. And everybody knows about his great reforms that he did, yada, yada, yada. However, if you don't read the account from Kings and the account from Chronicles, you can't put two and two together that he did, he started these reforms when the Assyrians invaded the north. So and the after, north was, the north was Israel, yes? Israel, yes. Yes. The Assyrians had taken in, they had taken, this is what created the ten lost tribes. So take okay. note, Hezekiah does these reforms, and it, it's just hard to wrap your mind around. You go to Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 10. So this is what Hezekiah does. So couriers passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun, and they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princess commanded by the word of the Lord. So they all, I mean, I know that's hard to believe, but the Assyrian had come in and taken them. And we all know, uh, historically speaking, they took one-fifth of the population. This is why King Hezekiah does all this. Now, he sends out this word. So some of them did come back, the ones the Assyrians didn't take. And what does he do? Now, many people were gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate what? The Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. A very large assembly. They arose and removed the altars which were in Jerusalem. They also removed all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. They slaughtered, they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th of the second month. And the priests and Levites were ashamed of themselves and consecrated themselves the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood at their stations after their custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. So you take note, why does it keep saying this? What? Well, you have to go up and read, ladies and gentlemen, because they didn't have time. Everybody didn't have time to consecrate themselves on the first month. So Josiah sent all the couriers and said, we're going to go ahead and celebrate Passover a month late. And amazingly enough, these Israelites that had left, the vast majority of them, laughed and scorned them. It's at this point, 
of course, right before this is when Hezekiah, of course, destroys this brazen serpent. This triggers the event, you know, three years later, of course, Sennacherib comes in and completely does everything he's going to do. So this narrative is important that you realize that everybody knows, all the biblical scholars knows what it is that Hezekiah did. What happened? They know about 2 Maccabees. They know, now, on top of this, at that site, I know it's hard to believe, but just like Maccabees states, there are several tombs that they found there. There's six tombs that they found there. It's hollowed out into the rock beneath this mosaic floor. So right down the side of the ridge from the peak is where they found these. And that's exactly what is described in 2 Maccabees chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Let's go ahead and read it. It was also in the same document that the prophet, having received an oracle, ordered that the tent and the ark should follow him, and that he went to the mountain where Moses had gone up and had seen the inheritance of God. Jeremiah came and found a cave dwelling, and he brought there the tent and the ark and the altar of incense. Then he sealed up the entrance. Now, when you know this, and you repeatedly see in Scripture when God says he's going to set up this standard, once you get all those verses in context, it rattles your cage. You realize, oh my goodness, is he going to set up a standard right there? And is that why they erected this abomination there? Because that's the only way I can describe it. It's an abomination. May I interject a question here? Yes. And this is something that I have struggled with, and, and I think I need further um, education. Y you mentioned going up to Mount Nebo, and they put the ark in, and they seal it up. What I lack a good understanding of is the overall chronology of this. In whose whose reign did that happen, if anyone? Who who was the prophet at that time, or prophets? Okay. Well, we know that it didn't happen here with Hezekiah. That happened okay. during Josiah. But we have to remember that you don't get that from Josiah. The only prophet mentioned is the prophetess. But take note, Jeremiah was prophesying. Of course, when Hosea died, who sang him an ode? Jeremiah did. Habakkuk, Nahum, and Zephaniah. So that's a good point. People don't realize what's going on here. During Josiah, all those prophets were prophesying. 
So this is very dis disturbing for some people because when you look at the tale of Jus Josiah and what he did, it states something that it states something in Hebrew that really shouldn't shouldn't be there. And I know that's a strange way to put it, but literally speaking, he says that he takes the ark and he just words it in such a way that he doesn't say exactly what's going on here. He says that he puts it in the place that Solomon built, and he shouldn't say that in Hebrew. He should literally state that he put the ark in its place, but that's not what it says there in the text. So it makes you think. It gives you this illusion. That's what's actually happened here believe it or not, is that Solomon knew all this in advance. It was he that hollowed out the place that Jeremiah found. He had built a cavern in Mount Nebo, knowing well ahead of time what was going to happen. Let's read this from 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verse 3. This is Josiah speaking. He also said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who, who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. Next, he says a key phrase. It will be a burden on your shoulders no longer. So the rabbis think this is what Solomon done. It was he who created this cavern. And there is a, how do you put that? There's a vault that Solomon built there. Because the Hebrew word he should have used here for place, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. And by backing it up with the simple fact that, by the way, you priest will no longer, it will no longer be a burden to you. It gives this illusion that this is what's really happened, that Solomon had went to Mount Nebu, constructed this place, this vault inside Mount Nebo beforehand, and that is where Jeremiah took the ark. Now, take note, in the narrative for Josiah, you never get Jeremiah. You never get Jeremiah. Remember, the only way that you get Jeremiah in the um, Hosea story is he sings an ode to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah uh, chanted a lament for him. Let's go there to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 35, verse 25. So take note, Josiah had never talked to Jeremiah or Habakkuk, Nahum, or Zephaniah. But yet, after he dies, what happens? Then Jeremiah chanted a lament for Josiah, and all the male and female singers speak about Josiah in their lamentations to this day. And they made them an ordinance in Israel. Behold, they are also written in the lamentations well guess what 
When's the last time somebody read Lamentations? Because they certainly never mention Josiah. And of course, many of you know this from, from years past me speaking about it. Ladies and gentlemen, the book of Lamentations is thoroughly prophecy. Many of them, uh, many of the Lamentations are set to acrostics, the whole thing. The whole thing's an acrostic. So, Janine asked a very good question. This is a very complicated time frame we're talking about here. And Mount Nebo is center to the whole thing. And the simple fact that this triggering event, once they destroyed this brazen serpent, sent in the second wave of Assyria under Sennacherib, it literally is enough to rattle your cage when you realize everything going on. So, so okay. So in Hezekiah, does it detail that? that because i didn't read much past where he destroyed it and why he destroyed it nope it does not go into that no you have to know the entire narrative in order to put it together are there resources out there that list this entire narrative in a not that i know of chrono chronological form not that i know of there is very well a, could be but not there, that i know of well I would think if anyone knew of it, you would. Well, that that's a lot to say. Um, and I appreciate you stating that. But, I mean, there's an awful lot of, of resources out there that I don't have connections with because they're either from Reformed, which means they're preterist, or, you know, they're, they're dispensationalist. Uh, or they're expensive. Or they're very expensive, that too. But putting these things together makes you realize that, ladies and gentlemen, it is highly, it is probable that the Ark of the Covenant, and take note, it wasn't just the Ark, was it, Janine? No. It wasn't just the Ark, ladies and gentlemen. It's also the tent. Yeah. It's the tabernacle. The tabernacle. It's the whole thing. Now look, take a deep breath. Why would, you know, not only Hezekiah, why, not only King David or Josiah, why would anybody have kept the tabernacle unless they would have known, unless they would have known the end time was coming and we would go through a second exodus? Let me say that again. <laughs> but the Lord, the Lord our God, emphasized the importance of that tabernacle. Yes, he did. And he most certainly said that we would be gathered to the tabernacle of David. Right, Jose? Yep, that's what he says. Everybody needs to think about that. Why would he call it the Tabernacle of David? Because it should have been thrown away, right? Once Solomon built the temple, it should have been thrown away, right, Jose? Right. What, what purpose did it serve? 
what, because yeah, it was I, the pattern. It was the pattern. It was the foreshadowing. Amen. Amen. So does nobody realize the ramifications that it is highly probable that this is the very standard mentioned in Isaiah. And you you sat there, you know, well, Matthew, what are you talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, I've repeated this to you many times. Listen to what he's, I'm going to read it, but now it's going to make sense to you. Because remember, if he does this thing, you're going to need a tabernacle. Look, I know that's so fantastic for you to hear. Me and Jose have read this, I don't know how many times over the past six months. Hosea chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover a second time with his hand the remnant of his people who remain. From Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. Verse 12. And he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Whether you like it or not, this is Operation Eagle's Wings. Yes, it is. This is from Isaiah chapter 40. In Revelation chapter 12, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Now, what? go ahead. Sorry. He's getting ready to say some names that he's going to say it perfectly so that you know. Verse 13, then the jealousy of Ephraim, why would he say that? He didn't say Israel, did he? No. But you're supposed to know that prophetically, once the northern tribe split off, they were prophetically called Ephraim. And Judah will not harass Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines on the west together. They will plunder the sons of the east. They will possess Edom and Moab. I want you to take a deep breath. You all know that Mount Nebo is not in Israel, right? It's across the river. It's in Jordan. It's in present-day Jordan. You do know that, right? Right, because that's where Moses stood, and he never made it to Israel. So, let me continue for a couple more verses here. And the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt. And he will wave his hand over the river with a scorching wind, and he will strike it into seven streams and make men walk over dry shod. There will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant of his people who will be left, just as there was for Israel in the day that they come up out of the land of Egypt. Now he says Israel, because you're supposed to know Romans chapter 11, right, Janine? Mm -hmm. You're Israel. So when before he mentioned Ephraim, and Judah, now you can have a hint and a clue as to what's going on here. All the Jews that have accepted Jesus 
is included into this narrative. But when you realize this, you realize what he's saying. The perfect location <laughs> for this to be is that very place that Moses surveyed the land, Mount Nebo. And this brazen serpent, the the redux, is on Mount Nebo. Yes. This, I don't even know who would have did this. Well, like I said, that question that I posed to you, I, you know, I used the word proper, but I realized later that that's not really what I meant. What I meant to ask was, is it lawful to remake it? Wow. I know this. I can't believe myself that the Pope went and visited it because it is an abomination. I have no difficulty believing that. And I was born and raised a Catholic. You know, there is nothing in the Catholic Church or any church to be fair. I don't care if it's Episcopalian, Baptist, Unitarian, Presbyterian. There is nothing inherent in those churches to keep one from abominations. Amen. Agreed. But when you realize what Isaiah chapter 11 said, he literally point blankedly told you that that the end time narrative for Christians is an exodus. It's not an exile. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing for 2 Maccabees chapter 2 to mention the ark. That's one thing. It literally had no business mentioning the tabernacle. There's no reason to do that. That we know of. That we know of. I um, I just went to a, a site just before I signed on because I was interested. I, I'm really wanting to delve into this chronology um, issue. And I noticed that um, Isaiah was active in Judah. And the time frame was 739 to 685 BC. I wanted to see where he overlapped with Hosea, if he did. Hosea's activity was in Israel, and he was active from 760 to 720 BC. So there was a short time frame uh, where they overlapped in their prophetic ministries. Well, this is this is one of the exclusive things with Hosea. He was prophesying in the north. He was prophesying in Israel. Mm -hmm. That makes him exclusive. Right. So, you know, when when you take a read of that and you know the entire biblical narrative of what happened with the two ways of the Assyrian invasion, the deportation, Hezekiah specifically targeting this Neshtan, and when he destroyed it, that triggered Sennacherib coming in for the second assault. 
when you put all these together and, and Isaiah test, you know, tells you this, that, I mean, it, it's bothersome to me that almost any eschatologist that I might ask has no idea what Isaiah chapter 11 says. They have no idea that God comes right out and tells you, you are not going to be, uh, uh, you're not going to be raptured off this planet. You are going to be relocated to the wilderness. You're going to get an exodus out of the world government system. That's what Isaiah chapter 11 plainly stated. It stated that in plain phraseology. God is going to gather you for a second time with his own hand. And in that narrative, the one thing that you would have to do to do that, if you were going to go back to the original narrative, you'd have to have a tabernacle, wouldn't you? Yes, and a standard to follow. And a standard to follow. <laughs> and, and, and look, when you read all of Second Maccabees, you realize that there's no reason why they would have made that up and put in there that, oh yeah, by the way, it's the tabernacle and the ark. And if you put it with the biblical narrative, you realize that because it doesn't use that phraseology in, in, in Hebrew that Josiah put the ark in its place, you realize, oh my goodness, he built this secret vault inside of Mount Nebo? It's enough to rattle your cage. With that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be ending the broadcast right here. If you want the full program, you're going to have to get it on Patreon. So, with that in mind, uh, take note to get that. It is patreon.com Matthew Miller. 